Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Thursday, July 6th. 2023. This is Shannon, and tonight I am here with Kristen, Stacy, and Natalia, and we are going to tell you about some things that we have been reading and loving recently. So we will start out with the usual housekeeping information. Then Stacy will start us off, followed by me, Natalia, and lastly, Kristen. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Book Bistro Podcast. There we have our usual Facebook page where we keep track of our Wednesday reads and also post information about the Friday episodes. We also have a Facebook listener group that you're welcome to join. And if you prefer a different type of listener group, you can contact us and ask about our WhatsApp group. Both groups are pretty small, not super high traffic, and we would love to have you. If you want to get in touch with us off of social media, you can do so by sending an email to thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. If you're looking for our main hosting page where you can find information on the podcatchers that make Book Bistro available to you, you can find that information in our show notes. So when Shannon said that she wanted to do an episode about what we've been reading lately, I said to her, I will participate as long as I can talk about, talk about A Little Too Familiar by Lish McBride because this book made all of my dreams come true when I read it. And it's like the best book hug in the history of my life. This book is about Louise, Lou, and Lou is in training. She's doing an apprenticeship at a veterinarian's office. And it's a veterinarian's office that also works with um, witches and their bonded familiars, so animals. And her goal is to finish this apprenticeship and to become a switch. And that is someone who helps the witch and their familiar to bond. And she's loving her job and loving life. And she lives with her two very close friends in this gorgeous, gorgeous craftsman in Seattle. And, you know, things are, for the most part, going pretty well for Lou. She has a wonderful kind of big blended family that gets together all the time. Loud, noisy, boisterous, loving family. And, you know, she's just trying to learn as much as she can so that she can be an amazing switch. Well, then we have Declan. Oh, and I'm sorry, she's a witch if I didn't say that. Then we have Declan. And Declan is not doing very well. He needs to move from Portland. He um, is in a situation where he needs some time apart from his sister because he loves his younger sister very much. But, um, his sister and his now ex-girlfriend started dating. Hence why Declan and his girlfriend broke up. And so he is very supportive of this for his sister, but he, and his ex actually, but he just needs some time away. And one of his really good friends um, offers him 
an opportunity to rent a room in his house in Seattle. And he's like, yeah, that'd be great. And he's, you know, this, he, he's kind of like wanting to find a pack. He's a, he's a shifter. He's a wolf shifter. And he's just feeling very isolated, very alone. Um, he didn't have the easiest childhood. His parents are currently in prison and he's just trying to find his place. So Declan moves into this house and it's quite an odd place. For first of all, there is um, a witch here named Lou. And Lou is someone that he feels very, very, basically has a panic attack around her because of something that is similar, a witch who does the same type of magic um, did to him during his childhood. And so he's not sure how he's going to manage to kind of survive living in such close quarters. And not to mention, besides Lou, there are like these ferrets who are always getting into his business. They're bonded familiars. There's a fledgling um, phoenix named Dammit who lives in the house. And, you know, it's just this very kind of chaotic, interesting place full of people and familiars who all seem to really love each other. And Declan kind of feels like he's on the outside. But little by little, Declan kind of begins to get drawn into the, like the house's shenanigans, all the different friends and what they do. And he begins to spend more time with Lou. And despite his sort of aversion to the type of magic that she practices and the type of, you know, just concern about what that could do for him, he and Lou begin to kind of forge a friendship, which gets tested when she accidentally bonds him to her in sort of like a familiar type way, which of course is everything that he has been taught to fear. Now, while all this is happening, while he's beginning to kind of develop like a found family here in Seattle, and he's, you know, kind of falling for Lou and being absorbed into her very chaotic, boisterous family, he finds out that his parents have escaped from prison. And this is going to lead to some complications for Declan. And I love this book so much, and I'm not going to tell you anything else about it, except if you like strong heroines who are interesting and confident. If you like sexy times that are actually sexy, found family, strong friendships, if you like alpha wolf heroes who are cinnamon rolls and who are broody and lonely and tortured and cinnamon roll all at the same time. And if you want a book that, like I said at the beginning, feels like you're getting a giant hug. The last time I felt like this totally different book was, um, um, Oh God, um, Megan Bannon. Um, oh, Heart and um, Mercy. I'm forgetting the beginning of the name. Uh, the, the Undertaking. The Undertaking of Heart and Mercy. And so this kind of had that same sort of book hug vibe as that one did, even though it's a totally different plot. I loved it. There's, like I said, there's something for everyone. It's a beautiful romance, strong, strong found family elements, strong friendships, lots of um, really fabulous um, diversity representation in this book as well. So if you want something that just feels a little bit different and will probably be the best thing you'll read this year, you must pick up A Little Too Familiar by Lish McBride. This has been on my radar since you first mentioned it on our staff thread. Um, so I do need to grab this. It's everything. Oh, and there's lots of good coffee mentioned in it too for all of us coffee lovers. So... Uh, 
my first book tonight is also paranormal, although Ooh. pretty different from this one, uh, the one that Stacy just talked about, I mean. This is actually my current read, so I am not quite done with it, but I am loving it so much that I had to take the opportunity to talk about it here. This is Blood Debts, Blood Debts, book one by Terry J. Benton Walker. This is a contemporary fantasy debut, and it's set in a magical New Orleans. So 30 years ago, there was a massacre. And on the surface, this didn't have anything to do with magic. However, as you dig deeper, you see that there's a whole lot of magical elements running underneath this. So this massacre involved the mayor of New Orleans and his daughter was murdered along with some other people. And it was eventually blamed on the ruling family of the magical council. And so this family was sort of disgraced. Now, 30 years later, we get to know Clement and Christina, who are the 16-year-old heirs to this dethroned magical family. They are practitioners of what's called generational magic, which is magic that comes from the power of the moon. And Christina, who was once a very powerful practitioner, has given up magic for good. Um, a spell that was cast by her sort of backfired and resulted in her father's death. And so she carries a lot of guilt about this. Her brother Clement clings to magic. It's the one thing that he feels like is stable in his life. His family is full of all kinds of drama. Um, for some reason that he can't understand, there's distance growing between himself and Christina. And he just doesn't, he just doesn't feel very moored except for magic. Now, these two are struggling in, in various ways, some of them magical, some of them not. But the one thing that unites them is their love for their mother. And when they find out that their mother has been cursed, they will do anything they can to break this curse and figure out who is responsible. And while this may seem like a simple undertaking on the surface, it soon becomes clear that what they're dealing with is pretty dark and pretty powerful and could result in a second magical massacre. I love this book for its kind of fresh take on magic. Um, the way magic is explained here, there's, there's generational magic, which is what Clement and Christina practice. There's also magic that is formed from like different types of gems. And it is sort of a, there's a council that is, you know, as political factions tend to be uh, filled with all sorts of drama and infighting. But at its core, this is a family story. It's a story of claiming your own power, whether that's magical or just your own, you know, personal power if we don't live in the magical New Orleans. And it's just so much fun. I love getting to know these twins. They are very, very different from one another. 
And you see the things that are kind of pulling them apart, but you also see how deeply they love each other and how much they are trying to remain united, even in the face of so much struggle. Um, Clement is a pretty complex character. He struggles with depression and anxiety. And I really liked that the author allowed that to be like a characteristic of his. Magic doesn't take that away. He finds solace in his ability to perform magic, but it's not like he can just cast a spell and have everything, you know, be be perfection. Um, so these characters do struggle in spite of their magical abilities. And I appreciated that. I don't like when magic is kind of used as a way to clear away everyone's problems. And this is not what Benton Walker does here. Um, this is the first book in a series. I'm excited to see if it's going to like be just a duology or if it's going to go on beyond that. But I really love this world. I love this magical system. These characters are fantastic. So if you love young adult fantasy with kind of a dark contemporary feel, I would highly, highly recommend this. It's Blood Debts, Blood Debts, book one by Terry J. Benton Walker. All right. Well, you know, reading lately has been interesting for me. I've wanted to read everything, but I've been very, very slumpy. And I've been reading a lot of comfort things, but in between the same old comfort things that I like to read, and no, not Harry Potter, because I already read that in January. <laughs> um, I've been finding some gems. And one of these first gems that I found by a new author was recommended by our Fuggleman, Shannon here. Any Other Family by Eleanor Brown. I actually read it on a Saturday in basically one sitting. I don't know when the last time I read a book on a Saturday in one sitting that wasn't a readathon happened. And she actually has a book called The Weird Sisters, um, which is a band in the Harry Potter universe. So I'm sure that's not what she means by the title, but I want to check that out. So Any Other Family is a book that discusses the question of what makes a family? And this family in the book we're talking about looks like any other family, but they're not a family like any other. Not quite. Instead, they are three sets of parents and they adopted four biological siblings. Uh, because they are committed to keeping the children connected after the death of the grandmother that was raising them, uh, Tap, they decided that they were going to become just one big family. And um, now there are a lot of kids. So there are the twins and the twins are adopted by Tabitha. And Tabitha is the planner of the group. Um, so she's uh, responsible for coordinating play dates, Sunday dinners, birthdays, and, you know, she's kind of like the leader of this whole thing and is insisting that everything has to happen just so. She's super organized, has it all together. Um, she's just like a really, I guess, super power mom leader. And then Ginger, who is a single mother to the eldest child. Um, she kind of resists this 
adopts togetherness. She does it for the kids, but uh, because of her own life and her own childhood, she kind of is not with this whole, you know, why do we have to spend Sunday dinners together? Why do we have to go on vacation? Why do we have to have this birthday extravaganza? So she's, she's a little, she goes with the flow, but inside she's kind of wary of trusting these people. And now Elizabeth, who is the youngest mother, and who has adopted the newborn baby, uh, she's still kind of going through the trauma of, you know, one minute her fertility treatments failed, and then the next minute she adopted a newborn. And (laughs) she completely hates it. And so she's terrified because she feels like her unhappiness means that she's not meant to be a mother at all. And little does she know that those of us who have biological children have all felt that. And, you know, the three women and their husbands are on vacation and they receive a surprising call that their children's birth mother is pregnant again. And she wants them to help her find an adoptive family for this new child, too, because she feels like she can't raise this child either. And the delicate bonds they're forming kind of just get really, really, really tense. The tensions rise and. The women have to reckon with their own feelings about what it means to be a mother and what they owe each other as a family. And what was really most important to me is how is okay, how it's okay to be different mothers and and to get along. And you know, I, I really love the message about how every mother is perfect, um, just however she is, and that every feeling is valid uh, and that everybody has a reason for doing what they do. And wow, if this is not found family, what it was just such, such a great, you know, it it was just such a great novel about adoption, about love and about how family really is what you make it. And, you know, it makes us wonder sometimes we have, there's a saying that says blood is thicker than water, but is it really blood or is it the weight of importance that we give to love that's, that matters? So this is Any Other Family by Eleanor Brown. Please pick it up. I hope you like it as much as I did. Oh, yes. Please, please pick this up. If you haven't already, it came out in 2022 and it is just incredible. I flew through it. And yes. it's one of those books that as soon as I read it, I figured that it would be uh, one that Natalia would love. My first book for tonight is My Husband's Daughter by Emma Robinson. This book was very, very interesting. There were quite a few twists and turns that I really enjoyed. Um, but this book is about Jack and Rebecca. And they are kind of a power couple. Um, they both are very good at their jobs and they love to travel. And, um, you know, that, that's just how they live. Um, Rebecca is an event planner. And she has a business with a friend of hers. And... They have decided that, you know, they like kids, but kids are not a part of their plan, um, their life plan. They want to be able to travel at a moment's notice and just to be able to do 
whatever they want, when they want, essentially just be free. And so it's very shocking to Rebecca when one evening um, a woman shows up on their front doorstep with a four-year-old girl and makes them aware that Jack has a daughter. Um, Jack did not know about this little girl. Um, Kara and Jack were together before Rebecca and Jack met, and um, she found out she was pregnant after they split up, and she never told him. But now she needs his help. She needs him to know that he has a daughter and to be there for her because she has a very, very big secret that she is not so sure um, she can even tell anyone. Um, she is very scared, but she wants to know that her daughter will be taken care of and loved. And so, um, Jack does step up and is, you know, happy to know that he has a daughter. He's very shocked by it, but he does really like her and does come to love her. But Rebecca has to figure out if she is okay with this turn of events in their marriage. Can she become a a stepmother for this little girl, um, considering that children were, were never in their plans. And what exactly is Kara's secret? What is she hiding from them that is such, uh, apparently this big bombshell that she's keeping from them until she really knows whether they are serious about having, uh, little Sophie in their lives. This was such a good book. Um, it's very heartbreaking at points, but it is really, really a great read. Um, Emma Robinson is a great writer. Um, I've also read another book by her that was just as, um, enthralling. And I plan to read plenty more of hers. She really pulls you into the story and has you hanging on until the last last page. So I highly recommend My Husband's Daughter by Emma Robinson. My second book I want to talk about is quite a bit different than either of the other books that I read recently. And I believe it was one of Amber's picks for well, it was a spring pick, I think maybe April. April. And this is Only the Beautiful by Susan Meisner. Oh, and, I love this book. Oh, I know. And this book um, is about Roseanne. And in 1938, Roseanne is living um, a life of sort of, it's a pretty idyllic life with her parents and younger brother um, in a... Uh, a little cottage on um, in the midst of a vineyard um, because her father is the vine dresser for this um, vineyard slash winery. And when she is 16, um, she loses her family. They all um, are in an accident and pass away. 
And so Truman and Celine Calvert, the owners of the winery, decide that they're going to take Rosie into their house. And Celine decides that she's going to teach Rosie employable skills, like as a maid, because, you know, she thinks that's what is a practical thing for her. And so Rosie, you know, she's trying to do her best there. She, um, it's, it's, it's pretty challenging to, you know, be in this house and, and be there sort of in a, like a, a serving capacity, a helping capacity. She learns a lot about the family. She sees things that sometimes maybe she shouldn't. She, and she's very lonely and isolated in this place. And sometime after she moves in, Rosie finds out that she is going to have a baby. And she keeps it a secret as long as she can. Um, but of course, as often happens, uh, her pregnancy was discovered by Celine Calvert. And she was sent away. Um, the foster uh, liaison in the county came and picked her up. And Rosie thought that she was going to go to a home for unwed mothers to have her child. But the other thing about Rosie is that she had a secret that her mother, uh, her parents told her she could never share with anyone. And that's when Rosie hears sounds, she sees colors that she associates with those sounds, which we know now is synesthesia. But back in the 30s, it just seemed like something that was very different. And Rosie is taken to this place that she, like I said, thinks is a home for unwed mothers. And once she arrives, she realizes that that is not what this is at all. It is an institutional facility for young women who are different by the eyes of society. And she learns that while she's there, not only will she have to give up her child, but she will be forced to give up any possibility of ever having any other children in the future, all the while being tested and studied by the doctors at this facility. And the first half of the book is sort of her harrowing experience here at this sort of institution for kind of, I don't know how really to say it, but just, you know, it's, there's people with disabilities there and, and other um, sort of psychological diagnoses. And it's just this place where women who do not fit the norm of society are sent for a variety of reasons. Because what's actually happening here is what we learn is, is that the United States actually took part in the eugenics movement prior to World War II. And this institution was part of that movement. And Rosie's experience was pretty awful. And um, I'll just warn you in advance, it's not a glittery, happy story full of sunshine and roses. But I learned a lot about that time period. I learned a lot about just sort of the views and attitudes of the day toward people, and specifically in this case, women who are different. But now let's go to Helen Calvert, who is the sister of Truman Calvert. And now it's 1947. And Helen Calvert has been overseas um, during World War II. She had a very up close and personal look at um, the eugenics movement during, you know, during the war and the ways that it impacted families. And now she is returning to the US in 1947. She's tired. She's 
just kind of needing a place to settle to kind of um, just to kind of, you know, recalibrate before she picks up her next nanny job. And when she returns to her brother's winery, she is shocked to find out that Rosie is no longer there and her name is no longer spoken. And basically she's very hated by Celine Calvert. So Helen, who had this lovely bond with Rosie while she was growing up, decides that she needs to solve the mystery of what happened to this young woman so many years ago. Because partially because she's worried about Rosie, but also because during the war, some actions that she did in the name of trying to be helpful and protecting someone else ended up really harming the family that she worked for. And so now this sort of feels like a way that she can make the right decisions and help someone for the good. And the rest of the book is basically Helen's quest and Helen's journey to find out what happened to Rosie and what happened to the child that she was forced to give up at birth. This was a very heavy book. Um, I did cry quite a bit during it. I think as a blind woman, it was pretty horrifying to read about the eugenics movement here in the U.S. I just sort of always assumed that um, that might have happened like in other countries, but not here. And to read such a raw and visceral account of what it meant to be different and how it sort of changed the way a person, like a medical person, would interact with you um, was really very striking and kind of horrifying. And it, this book really um, touched me on a soul deep level. Um, it's not, like I said, it's not always an easy book, but I think it's a very necessary book. And because it's Susan Meisner, you know, it's, it's going to have a more hopeful ending. Um, and I, I just really, really think this book is a necessary read. Um, and again, it is called Only the Beautiful, and it is by Susan Meisner. I think this is one of the most impactful mm. books she's written. Yeah. Yeah. I love Susan Meisner. Meisner. For people looking uh, to read more on this topic, but in a fictional setting, I recommend The Ballroom by Anna Hope, mm. Necessary Lies, Lies by Diane Chamberlain, oh my God, and amazing. Take My Hand by Dolan Perkins Valdez. So my next pick is also a historical novel. This is Crow Mary by Kathleen Grissom. <laughs> And this just came out uh, the beginning of June. And I read The Kitchen House by Grissom, I want to say in like 2010 or 2011. And I loved it a lot. And this one is pretty different from that. Like the storyline is not at all the same, but it does still contain all the things I loved about The Kitchen House in terms of how well researched this is, um, how vivid her descriptions of time and place and characters are so if you loved the kitchen house um, and you just really fell under this author's spell I highly recommend this one as well so Crow Mary is a person who did actually exist in 1872 a young indigenous woman known as goes first married 
a white fur trader named Abe Farwell. And they traveled together up from Montana into Saskatchewan, Canada, to trade with white people and indigenous people. And this was kind of a, a rocky marriage. Um, when Goes First first married Abe, he wanted her to kind of give up all of her indigenous rituals and ways of life and become basically a, a white woman. He gave her the name Mary, which was a name often given to Native women who were married by white men. And she added the word crow to her name in order to kind of pay homage to the Crow tribe into which she was born. So while they're in Canada, in a place called Cypress Hills, Mary witnesses a huge massacre by a group of drunken whiskey traders who killed like 40 um, Native people and took five women prisoner. Mary begs Abe to intercede on these women's behalf and try to save them. And he tells her that he can't do that. And so she, armed with two guns, goes into this fort and sets these women free. And this causes a bunch of upheaval, not only for Abe and for Mary, but kind of for the, the settlement as a whole, um, the ways in which fur traders and whiskey traders are viewed across this territory. But what we see most is the huge effect this harrowing act had on Mary and Abe because Abe becomes an alcoholic. He admits to Mary that he has you know, had drinking problems in his past. And after this event and after he feels like he not only failed her, but failed the indigenous men and women who were murdered and victimized, he just totally gives in to the bottle and their lives are irrevocably changed by this. Um, we learn a lot about the treaties that were made between white people and indigenous people and were summarily broken by white people. We learn about the abducting of native children that were then put in the white sort of missionary schools often against the wishes of their parents. Um, Mary is a heroine that you really feel for. Grissom did a marvelous job of bringing her to life on the page and showing us that even though in so many ways she worked hard to fit into the white world, um, it was never really a role that she was comfortable with, nor you know, should she have been. Um, it is a distressing book, especially if you haven't read a lot about the many, many ways white people have victimized Indigenous people, but it is still just so, so worth your time. Um, it took Grissom, gosh close to 20 years to tell this story. She first came across the story of Crow Mary 
um, in the year 2000 when she was working on the kitchen house and really wanted to do it justice. She got permission from a descendant of Crow Mary to tell this story and did a lot of personal research into the family's archives. And it's just, it's an incredible story that I, I can't recommend enough. So this is Crow Mary by Kathleen Grissom. I really need to read this book. Yeah, it just came out. Um, I got it from my public library. I think it's also on Bookshare. Um, Crow Mary, like? Like Crow, C-R-O-W, and then Mary, M-A-R-Y. So my next book is called The New Mother by Nora Murphy which I found by coincidence and I have never it's my first book that I read by this author I'd never heard of this author and man that boy did it catch my attention from the first moment I started it until I finished it because it's a relatable and nerve-wracking sympathetic and bone chilling story with a fresh new twist on motherhood and murder in suburbia so just imagine you know one thing they never tell you about being a mother is how hard it is, how lonely it is, how exhausting it is. And sometimes, at least in this book, it's murder. And, you know, usually the murder does not, and this murder is not what you're thinking. So this book is basically telling us the story about how nothing is simple, being a new mom alone in a new house, especially when your baby is colicky, and when you're Natalie Fanning, who loves her son unconditionally, being a mother is not all she wanted to be, as much as she loves him. And of course, enter Paul, the neighbor. Paul provides the lifeline that Natalie needs in what feels like the most desperate time of her life. He helps her with her baby. He's so calm and reassuring and steady. He's a stay-at-home dad. So it feels like he knows so much more than her husband even cares to try to understand about what she's going through. And with his presence, Nat feels like she can finally rest. But Paul, well, he wants something in return. It's no coincidence that he has befriended Nat since she is the perfect pawn for the plan that he's been cooking up. But will Nat wake up in time to see his plan? What is his plan? I don't know. I guess you'll have to read The New Mother by Nora Murphy. And I have to say, this is definitely a thriller. (laughs) Absolutely a thriller. Um, You know, you have the psychological thriller. You don't see it coming. But I have never read a thriller that is so real and so raw the way this one is. Because I'm not saying that thrillers aren't serious, but they're thrillers. You know what I mean? Like, oh my God, I thought I heard, you know, this tap outside of my window. Am I going crazy? Am I going crazy? And most of the time you're reading the thriller and you're wondering, is she going crazy or who's doing this or what is the mystery? And and you get that here, but you also get so much reality about what it means to have a new baby, all the choices that women have to make without actually wanting to make. Um, you get a lot of postpartum anxiety and what that can, how people can use that against you. And, and people do, they don't like, you know, it's not in a thriller way. There isn't murder, but sometimes people do um, gaslight and, and, and how 
you know, that's actually a thing that can happen. And I thought that was really cool because I never read a thriller before that was so realistic. So this was The New Mother by Nora Murphy. And you're not going to guess what Paul's plan is because I didn't. So I'd suggest you read it. I have not read this, but I read um, The Fever by her that I think came out last year. And I liked it a lot. My second book for this evening is The Comeback by Lily Chu. The Comeback is quite a whirlwind roller coaster ride. Ariadne Way is a up and coming lawyer. She's a very young, uh, young lady, but she has strived to meet her father's expectations in becoming a lawyer and making partner at the firm that she um, has chosen to work with. Um, She did not go into business with her father at his firm. That was not what she wanted to do, and he kind of holds a grudge about that, but the fact that she's in law, I guess, kind of appeases him to a point, but he has very high standards for her, and she's spent her life trying to live up to those standards and so she has everything planned down to the very last um, bullet point so to speak and she's working hard on making partner at this firm and then she comes home one day and finds this gorgeous knockout of a man on her couch And she freaks out. First of all, how did he get into her house? And second of all, who the hell is he? (laughs) Um, It's it's quite the the scene there. But then she talks to her roommate who is out of town on a job. And she finds out that this is her roommate's cousin, Jiyoon. And he is from South Korea. And he's been kind of going through some tough times and just needed to get away and regroup. And so since she is out of town, she told him that he could stay in her room at their apartment. And she says, it's all good, Ariadne. You'll never know he's there. He's quiet, blah, blah, blah. And Ari, as she uh, is called mostly, is kind of like, okay, fine, whatever. At least I know he's not some axe murderer that broke into the house. But things don't really go as planned. Um, Once June has been there a while, he starts to open up and she, um, you know, tries to be a good host and kind of gives him a tour of the, the area. This book does take place in Toronto, Canada. Um, the characters are Asian, and I love this about this book. Um, I love that it doesn't take place in, um, in 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 the type of settings that I'm used to reading in. Um, and I like that it's kind of like a minority uh, main character uh, book. I really like that. Um, so, as Ari and June get to know each other they start to develop feelings for one another and it 
starts to kind of move really fast. But then some big secrets come out from Jiyun. And Ari has to decide whether she can live with this this stuff that is coming out about him. And then she starts to realize that the Ari she thought she was is not the Ari she feels she is anymore. And she has to decide whether she is going to continue on this path of meeting her father's standards and wanting to still be a lawyer or if she is going to take another path and follow what she feels is right for her. Um, in the midst of all this, she is still trying to figure out all the ins and outs of Jiyun's situation and whether she can handle being um, the mystery woman on his arm of this guy that South Korea claims to know oh so well and kind of is very possessive over. It, it's quite the interesting um, story. I, I really enjoyed reading this. I really loved the heartfelt moments and the um, the really coming into one's own and finding out what works right for you instead of what people expect of you. Um, it was just a really great book all around, so I highly recommend this book as well. This is The Comeback by Lily Chu. Are you going to talk to us about orcs? <laughs> I am going to talk about orcs. And Ooh. I will say, fair warning, my darlings, this book is not for everyone. And if you are uncomfortable with books that discuss... Um, menage or throuples um and have very explicit erotic content this one may not be for you so feel free to take out your earbuds during my description but for those of you who are open and interested in such things let me tell you friends about the maid in the orcs orc sworn number six by finley fenn and i will tell you because our darling natalia is sitting right beside me well she's not physically beside me but because she's with me on this podcast right now, it says in the synopsis, although this is book six, it can be read as a standalone. Just so you know. No, it can't. Well, it is better if you read the series order because it really builds, but you don't have to. This book is about Alma. And Alma is, um, basically she's lived her whole life in the household of a very odious man. Her mother was his housekeeper until her death. And prior to her mother's passing, Alma learned all about the different sort of um, areas of service and worked her way up from scullery maid to now she's the housekeeper. And Alma, basically her life is all about figuring out how to repay her mother's medical bills and maybe at some point earning enough money to get the hell away from her odious, odious boss. Because... He's unpleasant and working for him is not pleasant. And he tries to find fault with her all the time. And um, servants in this household do not last long. Now, to just give you a little bit of background, um, this is sort of, this, this book sort of feels like it takes place in sort of some version of like a medieval England type society. And it is, um, there are humans and there are orcs. 
And a couple of years ago, there was there, there have been wars between humans and orcs for many, many years. But a couple of years ago, a treaty was finally signed and orcs are beginning to have more privileges and they are beginning to not be quite so feared in theory. And Alma, as this housekeeper, you know, she's been threatened that if she does, if she puts a toe out of line again or does something that her odious um, boss does not like, he's going to, you know, just give her to the orcs for them to have a son upon her and, and she'll be killed brutally by the brutal orcs. And Alma is trying to do her best, but things happen that are beyond her control. And the odious man, whose name I forget because he was so odious and I don't care about him, um, makes her a very dark and terrible offer. And she feels as though she has no recourse but to run away from this household. And thus, she flees into the forest as one does. And as she is um, about to basically fall into a very bad situation, she is rescued by an orc named Balder. And Balder is this very gentle, sweet orc. And he carries her back to Orc Mountain because he's rescued her from this situation. And he carries her back to Orc Mountain. And the two of them sort of have formed this very wonderful bond as he carried her to the mountain. But the problem is, Balder is already mated to Draftly. And Draftly is Balder's complete opposite. He is very monstrous and scarred and harsh and cold and forbidding. And yet he does love his mate Balder so very much that even though he hates, hates Alma with every fiber of his being, hates her, probably would be happy if she died, actually. He's willing to try to make things work to keep his mate Balder happy. Now, within Orc Mountain, several clans live together, and there's a captain, and Balder and Draftly are his right and left hand. And so they, you know, have these pretty prestigious positions within Orc Mountain, and they are respected by many people, although, or many orcs, although Draftly is rather feared. And he pulls Alma aside, Draftly does, and says that he is willing to make this very cold bargain with her. Basically, he will, allow, he will allow her to spend time with his mate as long as she always listens and obeys him, listens to him, obeys him, and basically begins living a life of servitude to Draftly. Well, Alma really doesn't have like any other options at the moment because she you know, basically ran away and was chased by um, household staff from her previous employer's home. And she doesn't really have any money. And so she sort of feels stuck. And also she really loves Balder. But there's also this very small part of her that's quite fascinated by Draftly as well. This is a very long book. It's 24 hours in audio. And a lot of it is about, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of it is about how these three people learn how to coexist together, how to kind of build a bond very slowly, very tenuously, very shakily together, while also respecting the pre-existing relationship and bond that already was there between Draftly and Balder. 
this book, you know, a lot of the, the previous orc books, while they are really, really great, and there's interesting world building and a lot of like political, you know, machinations that happen and, and things, um, there's, I feel like this book does a lot more um, character growth, character development, focus on the relationship, not just the sexy times more. Um, there are lots of very, very intense, hot, sort of BDSM um, adjacent sexy times throughout the course of this book. Um, very, It's a very erotic book, but the, the part that I love the most was the sort of very slow build of the relationship and the way it very slowly changed from, you know, uh, Draftly and Alma being extreme enemies to, you know, kind of trying to figure each other out to keep Boulder happy to something more intense and more beautiful. Um, you know, Alma kind of finds her place within Orc Mountain. She finds a way to feel that she is being useful while she's there. She meets a lot of people. She sort of um, finds a way into the lives of the orcs that she's begun to care about. And through her kind of gentle efforts, begins improving lives of other people, not just for Balder and Draftly. And I know that I'm the only one on this podcast who's read the series. Well, no, I think Nope, Someone Georgina. Else read, Georgina, I'm sorry. Georgina's read a couple. Um, but this this book by far, to me, was the best of the series. I've loved all of them. I've rated most of them five stars. But this one, if I could have given it 10, I would. Um, it's a really lovely story. Very intense. Very raw. Um, very sexy. But also just a just really, really great slow burn relationship book. Um, if you read books in audio... This entire series is read by Shane East and, you know, he's fantastic. Well, he is. And I think I would love the book. I think I would love the books anyway, but Shane East makes them almost like, I don't even like, I don't even have a word for his narration for these books. I'm not usually somebody that reads books because of a narrator or like gets more intrigued by a book because of a narrator, but it's the most intense, hot, fabulous narration I've ever, ever experienced in my life. I mean, these books are experienced with him narrating. So um, the first book in the series, if you want to start from the beginning, is The Lady and the Orc. That's book one. But this, again, um, is The Maid and the Orcs, and it's by Finley Fenn. And I hope you read it, and I hope you enjoy something a little bit different. My next book is a hard hard right turn from this um Stacey, you've, been, you've been leading me um like very well you know like a paranormal for my paranormal a historical for my historical but now, now you're going off into probably thriller territory right far no away from i'm me. not no. i'm taking us back to historical um but it just feels like very um incongruous <laughs> after your like you know sexy um, orc book. Orc book. <laughs> yes. But I am super excited to tell you all about a book called Did You Hear About Kitty Carr by oh. Crystal Smith-Paul. If you read and loved The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, then I highly, highly recommend this book. I mean, I recommend it even if you didn't love Evelyn Hugo, but especially if you did. So this is a dual timeline novel, but the majority of your time is spent in the past. 
So this is the story of Kitty Carr Tate. And at the beginning of the book, she has died. (gasps) She is a white actress who left her huge estate to the St. John sisters, who are three wealthy Black women. And nobody understands this. People have all kinds of questions, including the St. John sisters. Like they know Kitty, they've had a relationship with her, but why did she leave them, of all people, her fortune? Oh, so she had Elise, left it to me. Well, she <laughs> didn't. I'm sorry. So Elise St. John is trying to settle all of Kitty's affairs because now that this fortune is hers, you know, there's all kinds of business that has to be tied up. And as she does this, she uncovers some secrets about Kitty, and she's not sure whether these are secrets that she should reveal. And then we go back in time to the segregated South, and we meet Kitty, and we learn all kinds of things about how she became a Hollywood star. And some of these things rock Elise's world. And you don't, what I will say about this is you don't fully understand the relationship between Kitty and Elise until pretty much the end of the book. Like you get little hints of it along the way and you kind of think like, oh, I wonder, you know, maybe, maybe this, but it does not become clear almost until the very end. This is a book about racism. Um, It is a book about misogyny and all of the things that women, Black women, white women, women of other races, all of the sort of compromises that women are forced to make in order to become famous in what the author refers to as the Hollywood machine. And Kitty Carr is, you know, just one such woman. But her story here is is captivating. And like I said, I loved Taylor Jenkins Reads, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. And this did give me Evelyn Hugo vibes, but with, you know, kind of a, a different, a different set of circumstances. So if you love those early Hollywood books and you want sort of the glitz and the glamour and the scandal, I highly, highly recommend this. It is Did You Hear About Kitty Carr? by Crystal Smith-Paul. I need this now. Yes, yes, you do. So my last book is a book that I actually read on a work night. And the reason why I mentioned this is because, gosh, by the end of my days, there is nothing that will keep me awake. Even my favoriteest, most awesome book, I could pick up any Harry Potter book and I'll have to like, I'll fall asleep and wake up and have to repeat the chapter 20 times until I'm finally so asleep that it just continues. But this time she falls asleep recording this podcast. Uh, yeah. I'm just saying. When I was very pregnant <laughs> and very anemic, <laughs> it did happen a couple times, but we were working on the chronic fatigue. Okay. It's but true. Book, it's true. I did not fall asleep. And this is I'll Be the One by Lila Lee that from page one just sucked me in could it be because it's about a singing competition maybe it could be so our book is about sky shin who's heard it all and sky shin 
dances and sings and she does both really really well except well she's not skinny and she's heard it all fat girls shouldn't dance fat girls shouldn't wear bright colors they shouldn't call attention to themselves and yet sky still dreams of joining the glittering world of k-pop and to do that she has to break all the rules that society the media and even her own mother have set for girls like her and so she challenges thousands of other performers in an internationally televised competition looking for the next k-pop star and she'll do better than anyone else and not only that but she enters in both for singing and for dancing and when sky nails her audition she's immediately swept into a whirlwind of countless practices performances and drama that comes to by or comes with reality tv that is all too real guys but i'm telling you it's more fun to read about than live it and what she doesn't count on is the highly fatphobic beauty standards of the Korean pop entertainment industry, including other women. Her sudden fame and scrutiny and the sparks that soon fly with her fellow competitor, Henry Cho. But Sai has... I know. Sai, Sky has her sights on becoming the first plus-sized K-pop star, and that means winning the competition without losing herself. And boy, if I could just get Sky's self-esteem, self-confidence, self-awareness, and just acceptance and put it in a bottle and sell it to people, man, not only would the world be a better place, but I would be a millionaire, guys, because what an amazing, amazing book about group about strength about courage man it is not easy hearing so many negative things about you about your body about what you should and should not be and worse from your own parents sky throughout this entire book is not broken is not discouraged is not it's just not stopping of course she has feelings of sadness and just encouragement and shame and all kinds of negative connotations that come from societal ideals and and society's way of making women especially feel shame for being exactly who they are but she just continues and it was so inspiring so inspiring to read about in fact i think this novel should be assigned to every kid in a high school it was just really great it was really great we all should stand up for ourselves this way so if you want not only a feel-good novel um but a novel that is realistic about what entertainment expects of you and what society we can all relate to sky in some way whether we work in entertainment or not but if you if you also want a novel that's going to actually push you to have courage and something that you can think of on days when you're feeling like you're not so courageous and you're not so happy being different or being something that society doesn't think you should be this is the book for you so this is I'll be the one by Lila Lee, and I just can't say enough about this. There are just not enough positive things to say about this book. This is the best, like body positive book. Yes, yes. Um, it's just I don't even know. I read this a couple of years ago, shortly after it came out, and this author is incredible. She has a, a second young adult novel out now that I haven't read yet 
Um, but I, I really, really want to. I'm just afraid that I won't love it as much as this. And I will say that this is a, a high bar um, for, for her work because it is, this one was so, so incredible. My last book for this evening is Flawless, Chestnut Springs Book One by Elsie Silver. Because I cannot, cannot leave out my ultimate genre that I love so dear. <laughs> so this is a romance and it has hot, sexy cowboys. Um, because who doesn't love those, right? So Rhett is the face of bull riding. He is very good at what he does. He loves what he does. And he's pretty bullheaded. Um, <laughs> all puns intended. But he makes a big mistake. He, one of his biggest sponsors is a, um, is a brand of milk. There's a, a company that makes this certain brand of milk that is a big sponsor of his. And he is videoed saying that he hates milk. And so this throws his career into a big tailspin that his um, manager is not quite sure they can recover from. Um, he starts losing sponsors and he has this devil-may-care attitude about everything, really. <laughs> he's, he's quite the jerk, Um to, to people most of the time. However, um, his agent has decided that for the next, I believe it's two or three months of his uh, season in bull riding, that his agent's daughter, who works for him, will tail him, will be on him every step of the way, at every show, at every rodeo. Um, she will set up interviews with um, potential sponsors and his current sponsors that he hasn't lost yet. And she will make sure he's on the straight and narrow trying to recover his image. The only rules are keep your hands off my daughter and repair your reputation. Well, Rhett does his best. However, Summer, his agent's daughter, is a looker. She's very pretty, and she's rather sassy. And she doesn't take crap from anybody, and she's especially not going to take it from Rhett, who already has his career headed down the toilet, and she wants him to straighten up and fly right. But as all wonderful cowboy romances go, you know that they're going to fall for each other, right? But there's a lot of mixed-up family stuff for Summer as well. Um... She doesn't have the best relationship with her sister and or her stepsister and stepmother. Um, Summer was or is um, essentially the bastard child of her father who had a fling with someone and um, he raised her. And this has always been a sore point for. Um, her stepmother and her sister. And even though she is very close with her father and he says that's all that matters, 
um, he, he knows that it's very hard for Summer. Um, he has a heart attack at one point in the book, and she gets really upset with her sister, who is a doctor, at the hospital that he is taken to because she does not call her right away. And there's also a lovely little stalker for Summer, and that is something that her and Rhett will have to contend with as well, which also puts a twist in the family dynamic as well. So it's <laughs> so many things come and happen in this book, but it is a beautiful, beautiful story. It does have a happy ending, and it is the first in a series. Um, I am currently reading the second book, Heartless, and you do meet the characters in um, Heartless in Flawless as well. So it is definitely one that you want to read in order, I believe. Um, but I suppose that if you don't want to, you don't have to, but you do. Um, there are some spoilers in um, in sequel books that will be spoiled if you do not read them in order. So, this book is Flawless, Chestnut Springs, book one, by Elsie Silver. So, this concludes our episode on what we have been reading and loving recently. Thank you so much to Stacy, Natalia, and Kristen for joining me tonight. Thanks, as always, goes out to Christine for all of her fantastic editing. And, of course, we thank each and every one of you so much for joining us each week as we talk about great books. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.